We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, when the Pat Beverly trade dropped last week, my first reaction was, that's a good trade. That's a guy that we need that I can that I think can play in high level playoff games and I know what his role is going to be for two guys that at least at the beginning of the season were probably on the outside looking in of the rotation. The second, and it wasn't very far behind, my second reaction was oh, it, it hurts to lose THT for Patrick Beverly while still believing the first point that it's a good trade, right? But that we ended up getting here, I think speaks a lot and it's something that we're going to get into today. And then my final reaction was, oh, and Stanley too, right? While again, arriving back at that first point of, I do ultimately think it was a good trade, but I want to get into THT and Stanley and just kind of their journeys with the Lakers, very different. Um, and we're going to start with Taylor since he was here for a lot longer. The Taylor came to us as an 18 year old, um, with just a really remarkable physical profile. He wasn't, he got in better shape as his rookie year went along and he became an NBA champion with that Lakers team that he got a little bit of run in the playoffs, but he was mostly a spectator. And then come his second year, he got a little bit of playing time before this past season when he was very much a, a square peg in a round hole. Help set the stage for us here with Taylor and talk to me about what you think of Taylor's Lakers career. Oh man, like it's interesting. I remember when the Lakers drafted him, he was somebody who had been on the profile of sort of like draft Knicks as this mm -hmm. guy. Draft Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Like of, oh, this super intriguing prospect, um, Iowa State, right? So not necessarily one of the power, power conferences or power schools, but someone who had this super intriguing skill set at his size and with his physical profile where he's short for a wing, like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but the incredible length and he wasn't like overweight or fat or anything, but he was just one of those 
dudes who like I made a comp to like E Honda one time where he like as uh-huh. a defensive player, but he was stocky and thick, two C's, but had ball handling skill and shot creation skill and a very intriguing finishing package around the basket and all of this stuff where you're like, I see what they're thinking here. And there was this general excitement like, oh, the Lakers got this kid, right? And then I remember there's then all of this stuff of legend, right? Which going legend is is too far, but that... That story that Tony Allen told on, um, I think, Chris Verdon's radio show or podcast where he was talking about catching uh, Lakers G League game, game. Mm-hmm. right? They were playing the Memphis Hustle, and there's T.A. sitting in the front row, and THT's just going off, Mike, and he's just like talking to T.A. like, I don't even belong down here. And then THT then figured out like, oh, this kid from Chicago, which made T.A., who's also from Chicago, like him even more. And that then there was that those brief minutes that he played in the playoff run to the championship in the bubble against Houston, where he hit he hit a couple of threes and then he played some defense and he got to the basket a little bit. And this idea of like, oh, the Lakers have something here. Mm -hmm. But Mike, in the bigger picture, there was always something where you're just like, okay, well, what is his role going to be on this team? And is he going to fulfill it to the point where you feel comfortable Trying to optimize a player where his skill set is as an on-ball player. And I always felt myself intrigued by THT and like you, Pete, sort of sad to see him go because I do feel like he's due to make a leap. I thought it was going to come last season, but yeah, but it just didn't. So I don't know. Like th- there's there's all of this. I, I know you're like, set the stage for, for THT, but, but I still feel myself looking at him as this prospect who's still so young and still offers so much intrigue, but a guy who last season didn't play up to the standard that you would have hoped. But then again, like the only guy who did last season was sort of LeBron. And even in his own way, he didn't meet his own standards like he had the box score numbers but wasn't the same quality of guy and and so like yeah get in line right when you're talking about oh THC underperformed well yeah so did the entire team so I don't necessarily know what to take from last year from him I do feel like the Lakers quote-unquote sold low to a certain extent but the whole thing is a bit frustrating to me and we'll get into it a little bit more, but Mike, you watched him up close and personal and talked to him for a couple of features I know. And so what's your sort of perspective on THT and his growth or lack thereof within his brief Lakers career? Let me frame it like this. So I was doing a serious NBA interview the other day and it, it took me right back to when I was doing seven ten. And felt like I was always defending the Laker young guys and not because I work for the Lakers and because I like love the Lakers and was some, it's because young guys in the league, right there, it's all relative to what the circumstances are. And, and so when you draft D'Angelo Russell or Brandon Ingram and you're the Lakers and you've been losing people, especially nationally, you don't get to watch them every day are expecting them to just be amazing right away. 
And there are, you know, three, four players in NBA history that were amazing when they were 18, 19. Um, and then even up to the point of 20. And the, in the last 20 years, there have been like two, you know, Luca and LeBron. So it's just, I, that's the perspective that I'm always pu- pushing back against. And so Taylor Horton Tucker comes in, not just young, but the second youngest player in his draft class uh, behind only Sekou Dumboya. And he really doesn't play his rookie year. He's in the G League. And so I got to see him up close and personal a lot. And he would have flashes and he would have moments, but it wasn't like he was dominating G League games even. And then he came up and, and actually the bubble helped a lot uh, for him because he's playing a lot uh, just, you know, next to LeBron, next to AD. And, and he's starting to flash. And I'm starting to hear from coaches, hey, Talon's made some progress here. You know, we might use him in the postseason. Now, they end up using him in the Houston series, and as Darius alluded to, he plays well. It's only 17 minutes that he plays, but he scores 14 points. Uh, They're timely. They're against Houston's first team, right? This isn't against, like, their bench or their scrubs, Mm -hmm. and that gives you some indication. But he's still at that point uh, is is just 19. And then last year, he turned 21. So by contrast, look at Alex Caruso. When Caruso was playing in the bubble, he was 25. So – it's just the age thing. It's not the only thing that's out there, but it's the main thing as to why Taylor Horton Tucker didn't pop in the way that some people may have expected. And, and, and you know, Pete, as I say, the main thing, maybe it's not actually the main thing. Maybe the main thing was that it's a team with LeBron James and then who brought in Dennis Schroeder the previous season to play backup point. And last year they brought in Russell Westbrook and they also had Anthony mm-hmm. Davis and some other NBA players and, and Taylor is not a three and D guy. And that's the role that they needed him to be. That's the role that they need him to be next year. Mm-hmm. And that's not the primary thing that he does. So in terms of basketball fit for next year, of course, Beverly is just a much better fit, just period. And that's why you do it uh, in, in terms of like the here, Pete, jump in there. And then I want to get to why the contract situation is also tricky when you draft somebody yep. that young uh, and why you then have to repay him. Uh, and, and that becomes an issue. But but let me we can get to that as the pod goes on. No, that's that's an angle I definitely wanted to hit as well. But with respect to what the Lakers need needed and need from uh, his position going forward, really, that's that's everything is role with a young player, especially and especially the type that isn't one of those monsters at 20 years old, like you said, that come uh, that are so few and far between role is becomes something that's really important. And one of the things uh one of our big conversations over the last year has been the importance of ball handling. How much of it do you need? And I think that the idea of last year's team was to, and even the first LeBron team that we had was to take the, some of the burden off of LeBron for, as a, from ball handling perspective. But to me, the way that we did it, it was like, oh, this recipe calls for some salt. And then you just dump the whole bag in there. And now you've kind of ruined it right and ball handling isn't one of those attributes like passing for example i don't think you can have too many good passers on your team but there is kind of a dispersion of value there's a law of diminishing returns when it comes to ball handling of which Taylor, i think was really affected by we did have so many ball handlers so many guards that we signed we re-signed him right and we'll get to the contract in a moment to fill a need for a three and D guy when he was an on ball guard. And I think defensively he showed some chops and had some flashes that I think are going to be really valuable for him going forward. But offensively, I don't, 
remember a player, a young player, kind of as lost in the wilderness or a season of a guy being just kind of trying to figure out what am I doing? How do I do this as much as we did with Talon? And between his role, but also his age and what we needed, we made a decision D, to, to sign him instead of Alex Crusoe. And looking back on that, Alex is that kind of three and D type of player, right? And Mike, he is, that is the, if you're looking for, when we trade for Patrick Beverly, just simply from an archetype standpoint, they're similar, Pat Bev and Alex Crusoe, in terms of what they do and what, what they bring to the table on both ends of the floor. So in some ways, we kind of addressed, I think, something that we lost that, that last time. But Mike, it is something that I, I think about is, the contract, the age, all of that. Why did we ask Talon to fill a role that Alex was really tailor-made to fill? I do always push back at the whole, they took THC over Caruso thing. Like they, they could have brought Caruso back uh, and, you know, in with any number of other players. So it wasn't an either or. Um, and, and clearly it was a mistake not to bring, not to bring Caruso back, but that didn't have to come um, at the expense of THC. So just, uh, unless you unless you disagree with that, Pete, that's that's been that's been what my perception has been for this whole time. No, I I, I agree with that, and I think in a perfect world we we keep both. But the right. I remember the talk about THT as he was uh, improving throughout that season, and you were talking about that, Mike. About the coaches were saying this, like, hey, Vogel was like, yeah, this kid might start, and I think the version of Talon that on a different timeline where he goes well with the Lakers is he kind of fills the Russell Westbrook role, right? Of that power guard that's on the ball that can get to the rack, but maybe isn't that great at playing off of the ball. Right. But when you add Russ on top of that, it becomes like, what's the stretch of the game where we give Taylor the ball, you know? And then that's, that's a harder question to answer. And it was also, so a game that, that I was just up in Darius's neck of the woods, right? The third to last game of the regular season. And he goes off for 40, and now, look, Golden State didn't really play like they didn't really need to win the game. It was one of those late season games that is tough to draw too much from. But still, like he got 40 in an NBA game. Yeah, you know, like he, he's so talented. He's there so is talented. A lot, there is a lot there and he is still 21. So that's where like I do. I like it for Utah also, you know, and like they weren't going to use Beverly. And, sure. and I'm guessing nobody else was going to give them uh, a first. Right. Or, or if they were, it was going to be one of those kind of like heavily protected first from a team that's good, you know, that wanted Pat Bev and, and, and they could also fit Pat Bev's 13 mil on the roster. So I, I just I think both of these things can be true. It's, and it's, it is. I just don't want to do the whole narrative of like, oh, THC didn't do anything for Lakers. You know, he, he wasn't a, like you have to you have to understand the full context of, of what happened the last few years. No, it is all about context. It is all about role. It is all about what is the ask and how aligned are we in the ask and the ability to deliver? And Kyle Kuzma talked a lot about, I'm not sure what my role is. And he wasn't saying it, um, I think, as a pejorative towards the coaching staff or anything. It was just this idea of I'm supposed to be different things depending on what the circumstances are in front of me. Like, oh, okay, well, LeBron is LeBron is out this game or AD is out this game. Well, all right, Kuz. We need 25 tonight, mm -hmm. right? Like, go get us those buckets. You're a scorer. And it's just like, okay, well, LeBron and AD are both playing and, and JaVale and Dwight are here. It's like, well, all right, Kuz, go be a 3 and D wig, right? You may get six shots tonight, but make them all <laughs> and play hard defense and make sure that you don't get beat at uh, the point of attack. 
And that that's that's a big range of asks. And I think for a young player, what you really want is the ability to lock in and say, this is my ask. It's small. And then, okay, we're going to give you a little bit more, a little bit more. You introduce a couple of additional things and then let them do that, right? Well, and that foundational thing is something that they do naturally, right? Like that it's something that's part of their game anyway. Yeah, that's right. And so, like, I always felt like, Mike, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I always got the sense that Frank Vogel especially wanted to coach THT hard, that he had high expectations for him and that he was really trying to groom him into valuing the things that he was going to need to value in order to play on a really good team, which is like, look, man, like I need you to defend and I need you to defend both on and off of the ball. And you're going to get your opportunities. And Frank did give him opportunities to play on the ball and to play off of the ball some. There was that stretch in the Dennis Schroeder season, right? And the Harold season, where, again, both LeBron and AD missed a significant amount of time that season. And there was that stretch in the middle part of the year where I thought Frank was giving offering a lot of praise towards THT as saying like like we got this dude playing point guard basically and he is not a point guard but these on-ball reps are important for him but and Frank would always pivot back but the thing we really need from him is we need defense and focus and decision making and 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 right and so I always thought Frank was sparse with the praise but always reinforcing the ideas of what THT was going to need to be as a role player on a high-level championship team. And so I think back now to what is the ask and what is your natural state as a player? And THT's natural state as a player is still as an on-ball worker and someone who is going to create shots mostly for himself and mostly as a downhill player. And so I agree with you, Pete, within the context of if Russell Westbrook was never a Laker, I think THT gets way more on-ball reps this past season, and how successful he would have been, I have no clue. I doubt he's the guy who was threatening 40 points a night the way that he did on that second-to-last game of the season or third-to-last game of, of the season in Golden State. But I do think you would likely see more refinement and more polish over the course of last season than what he was able to provide. And that's part of the, like, ah, damn it, like the one who got away a little bit with, yeah. with THT. And it's that idea of those choose-your-own-adventure books that I've talked a lot about in the past where you send a player down a path and it's hard to course correct in order to get that player back. So let's go to break here. And then when we come back on the other side, we'll talk more THT, his evolution as a player, but also the contract stuff, which I do think plays a part in all of this too. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, one last thought on Talon is on... In terms of his on-ball reps, I think that that was an obvious kind of mismatch. Um, but his things that he needs to get better at have been the same for the last two, three seasons. And he's a player that as an on-ball player, I think he's kind of missing a link in the chain in that he's so good at driving to the basket that the way that defenses are going to defend him are like, I'm just going to completely sell out in protecting against the drive. And those type of players, when you're really good at one thing, all you need is the, is a reliable counter to that thing. So they're back on their heels, they're backpedaling and they're selling out to try to prevent you from getting all the way to the basket. A little floater or a little turnaround. He's got a couple of things within his game that like you see flashes of it, but it's at a similar point that it was a couple of years ago, where I think that with that opportunity for more on-ball reps, if he can develop those counters, I can totally see, uh, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, guys, there being nights where it's like, uh, Talon had... 22 tonight and played good defense, stupid Lakers, right? Like another guy, as soon as he leaves the Lakers, he becomes good. Like he, he screams as a guy that, that, you know, in six months, we're going to be talking about like that. Yeah. It just goes back to this. The contract stuff has something to do with this, but it's also just about development in general. And it's hard to both develop a guy for what is best towards his skill set when they're young and then also have it be best for what fits for that team. Mm-hmm. Because inevitably, you're going to have other players that are that are great on the ball. And especially when you have some somebody like LeBron that is so obviously great historically and needs to have the basketball. So what are you doing with THT then to, to develop him? You know, are you developing him as a three and D player? Well, no, you're probably still viewing him as the asset that he is um, and as the play. What is best for him to develop? And at this stage of his career, it is not best for him to say, you know what? I could be great on the ball, I think, but my my trajectory in the NBA is going to be better if I focus on being a role player. And you get caught in no man's land there, Darius, when when you have a roster that requires certain things that aren't necessarily best for you individually. And by the way, that was what was so tricky for Kyle Kuzma. And I was always trying to defend Kuzma during the championship season because he still felt like he had all of these other things to do. But what was best for the team was that he basically turned into a role player. And that wasn't an issue for Caruso, who knew from the second he got into the league that he was going to be a role player. So these are all things that factor in uh, uh, as in uh, their they're somewhat repetitive, too, with what we were getting into before about what his actual skill set is. And 
with a guy like Kuz, he was equipped to do that. He was a bit of he's a bit of a chameleon as a player. He's a does a bunch of different types of things. And so he can access. Oh, you need me to be more of a rebounder tonight. He can get you 12 rebounds. He can give you 25 points. He can be a bit of a passer as an on ball player. He can be he a can spot be, up shooter. It took a little bit, though. Right. It took some games for him to kind of accept that that that's what he was going to do. So, so yeah, whenever your role is getting kind of moved around from one thing to another, from Cruz's role this first couple of years as like a main primary scorer to being more of a, no, we need you to play better defense. We need you to be more of that role player. That's always going to take an adjustment. What I'm saying is that Kuz had it within him to access that, those skills. And Talon is not a, a, that type of player. And so he's even, he's not that type of generalist. He has a very specific type of game and that makes it even harder. Yeah. I was going to say that Kuz is, Kuz can access a jump shot from range. And Mm -hmm. that shooting ability is the crucial swing skill when you're talking about the ability to oscillate between a role player and a primary scorer type. Mm. It's can you shoot the basketball? And because shooting translates to on ball and off ball work. Now, even if you're not a great pull up shooter, the fact that you can shoot the ball means that the defense defends you. A certain way. And so when we talk about the developmental arc for a player like THT, a part of that is the fact that his three point shot still has not come around and that he is not developed that in between game as a pull up shooter yet as a counter to his driving. One of the things that I'm interested in seeing is as he gets more reps does the thinking part of the game slow down for him where he then recognizes what what other things he'll need as part of his game in order to take that next leap? And, and so the part that I'm always interested in, Pete, when it comes to THT is like, yeah, well, I got frustrated a lot. Like, oh, man, he's overdriving. He's overdriving. He's overdriving. It's like the third year of this. Right. And like, where's Mm -hmm. the floater? Where's the pull up jumper? Where's this? Where's that? And you see it over the course of all of these minutes. And when it's 200 games worth of that, basically, right over the course of G League and then uh, NBA games, you're like, well, is it ever going to come? But a part of this is also like, well, over the course of those 200 games, how many reps did he actually get? And so the time is long, but the idea of does this work yet for me is still there for THT. And he's thinking this is going to work. This is going to work. At least I'm trying to put myself in in his shoes. I know I'm good at this. I'm going to keep doing this. I think he needs like a season more of reps almost uninterrupted to be able to say, okay, this is where I'm feeling it out now as to where my counters are and everything else. And so I want to pivot here though, to the contract stuff, because another year worth of stuff, that idea of what he is needs to be built into how to the development plan, which then needs to be built in to the contract stuff. And so he was drafted as a second round player. And he was signed to a two-year contract, which accelerates the timeline. So I'm going to kick it back to y'all now and talk to me about how you think the contract and all of that plays back into the path that he's been on and what the Lakers envisioned for him and maybe where those things bumped up against each other. Yeah, those things just go hand in hand. And it's difficult whether you're a veteran team or a developing team 
when you have young guys and especially second round picks that you have to sort of, uh, they're, they're going to come up and how many of them can you keep and how many of them is, is one other team going to vulture. And I'm trying to remember if we talked about this on a pod or if it was just our text thread, but I was, tr- I was basically talking about Oklahoma city and new Orleans and some of these teams that have insane numbers of picks coming up and yeah. said, Hey, maybe this is a new strategy. Just start to vulture teams like that because they're they're going to be kicking young guys to the curb that they just can't keep on their roster and and or having to just sell first round picks because they can't make all the picks and then keep the guys that they've already been developing and and so it's this it's this weird new new thing that I think is going to happen because teams didn't used to trade as many picks as they are now and like mm-hmm. what Minnesota just did you know what the Lakers and what the Clippers and and, and what the Bucks did and then the Pelicans actually doing two of those deals, right. With the Lakers and the Pelicans. So it's just, or, and the bucks, I should say. So to get back to how this impacts THG specifically, you know, I, I'm not saying that everything was managed perfectly in terms of what type of deal the THG was given in order for him to have a, a certain type of growth rate, but the trajectory Pete, where, where you were going to do that also is difficult because of just his, the fact that he started at 18, as opposed yep. to you get a rookie that starts at 21 and then by the time you can hit him with a rookie extension, then, you know, he's 24. Whereas THT, it's almost like you're okay. Well, he's developed some and now ready, but you already had to give him an extension. And, and it, that just becomes tricky. And, and I don't, I don't know, know if I have the answer for a player that's that age, like how you're supposed to get him to be contributing to a team, a veteran team, you know, by the time he's on his second or it, it's just, it's uh, it's difficult math. Well, Darius was talking about the elements of his game, his player development, that some areas he still needs to grow in that are common for a 21 year old player. There's nothing unusual about the observations that, that D made. The problem is that He's already on his second contract. This is the second year of a potential three-year deal where from an asset perspective, and I think it's important to separate a player from an asset in terms of how we frame this conversation. From an asset standpoint, I think you stop being a young player, quote unquote, when a team loses your restricted free agent rights. And so once you're on that second contract and as soon as you're done, so say THT has a great year this year. He looks great in Utah playing, uh, giving you good two-way play. He figures out some of the things that that Darius was talking about. Uh, He is a really shines as best as he can. He could opt out and be completely unrestricted free agent. That is very unusual for a 21 year old. That's like very, very unusual. And so that idea of him being on a veteran contract while still being very much a young and developing player from an asset standpoint, like one of the things that we got out of this trade is 10 million of cap space next season, right? Because if the other version is that if he doesn't pop off to that degree or and even if he has a solid year, he still probably opts in to that 10 million his last year that he's got going. Right. And so that's something that you don't have the, the choice of what to do with that money if you want to go in a different direction. And so that I want to bring Stanley into this conversation. Stanley is an example of a player who is supposed to be that on ball number one type of guy. And unlike THT in terms of draft position, we was drafted to, to be so. I am so sad to see him go. I Now, from a, a housekeeping standpoint, to make this trade be legal, if you were going to trade for Patrick Beverly, it had to be THT and one of Kendrick Nunn, 
Stanley, Wenyan Gabriel, or Austin. Now, I'm sure there were negotiations on who that would be, um, but I understand why why it was Stanley and the fact that it was Stanley may not have been entirely up to the Lakers, right? That's a negotiation standpoint. Stanley's a guy, though, where it's a similar type of thing. I'm going to buy all the Stanley stock. I hope I hope he plays with a really good player because I think that's his best version of, of his career is like the guy that is the advantage extender alongside a guy that's already getting double teams and things like that. So I hope he's not just playing on an awful Utah team, although that may be what he is. I think that's but, their plan. Yeah, I think so too, Mike, right? And so I think that's less advantageous for Stanley. But the same argument I made with THT applies to Stanley in that if Stanley shows himself to be the kind of 3 and D, I think he's seen the light. I think he's found his place in the NBA and what kind of role he's supposed to be. And I think that if he fills that, that's a really good player that a lot of teams are going to covet. And that if he can do that, though, and he shines through on your team, same thing. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's going to go to wherever he wants. And so as a result, even though he's a young player that like, hey, Stanley looked pretty good last year from an asset standpoint, he's not going to yield very much in a trade. I don't think you can play Juan Toscano Anderson and Stanley in the rotation at the same time. I suspect that the coaches made kind of a similar decision there. So it I, I say all that D to say that I I like from from an asset standpoint, in terms of what we gave up, I feel like it's different than what we gave up from a player standpoint. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I too like Stanley. I also try to show caution in terms of falling too hard for a player that does things that I really like for a team that we ultimately really disliked. Yeah. I think it's very easy to feel that sense of rebound almost, right? Where where it's just like, oh, you come off a bad relationship and then this other person <laughs> does all the things that like your yeah, ex yeah. did not do or like shows all of these traits that you appreciate that your previous ex did not show. And you're just like, ah, yes, this is great. And then when you settle in, you're just like, oh, well, actually... There's some stuff here that's not as great still, right? And it's just like you start to realize it's like, okay, he's Stanley Johnson. He's a very good player. I do think that he's going to help any sort of team that he's on in a real way. And I think he would have helped the Lakers this year if he would have played a viable role, right? He's also, when you talk about an unrestricted free agent next summer, he's been playing on minimum deals. He got elevated from two two-way contracts to um, a rest of the season deal with an option for this season in which the Lakers picked up. And so, boom, that's the deal that he's on now. The version of Stanley that pops, right, it's going to take him, I think, one or two more years of playing on a minimum deal, a la like JaVale McGee, for example, before I think he he escapes the realm of being a minimum player across the league to to most GMs. And that's where I sort of separate him from this idea of what THT is. Whereas if THT pops, some team might easily invest their full MLE in him again next season on a three or a four year deal, or even go above the MLE in a way that like, because as the cap goes up, because there's another cap spike, not spike, but 
the cap will go up again with with a new TV deal. And so you're going to find value, I think, in players like that who are in the 10 to 12 million dollar a year range. And THT could easily be one of those guys. So I don't want to make it sound like Stanley isn't a good player or that he wasn't going to help, because I do think in ways that Juan Toscano Anderson will help that sort of feel for the game and idea on how to play in the creases of the defense and, and make the right read as as a passer and ball mover and play hard defensively. Those are all things that any team could need. I do still wonder about the holes in this game as a shooter, particularly, and how mm-hmm. that works on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis and how much value that's going to have in similar ways to Toscano Anderson or even Troy Brown, right? Like what level can you guys hit open threes at? And if, and I'm not sure what Stanley will be in that. He showed some ability in that, Mike, last season. So um, I don't want to rule it out for him, but I still have question marks about a player like that. So I like Stanley. I just don't want to overvalue him within the context of coming off of last Lakers season where there wasn't a lot to like about last year's team, but Stanley was clearly one of them. But this is a new team and how he would have fit in um, is clear. But to what level, maybe not popping at the same level in com- on this year's team as compared to last year's team, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think that he probably slotted as just outside the rotation, but somebody you feel comfortable putting in in a given mm-hmm. situation. And that's important to have. And Pete talked ad nauseum last year about how that type of player has to be your 11 through 15. It can't be your, you know, five through 10 um, as to the player that you may not want to play on a given night. But the reason is because he does still have some weaknesses, right? That other teams that, that are the reasons why he doesn't have a longer term contract. And whether it's the three point percentage, which now is 30% for his career, or, you know, the, the little bit of the tweener. Uh, body in terms of well which position is he best at in terms of guarding mm-hmm. and the best moments that he had last year came when the Lakers had to play super small and he's basically playing some version of either center or power forward like alongside LeBron James and pulling Rudy Gobert out and being able to attack him off the dribble which is you know which is which is great to be able to do that and then hang in, in sort of hang in there some defensively but not sustainable and not part of like a planned rotation so and I also think that, you know, Utah looking at it, just like the Lakers and some other teams can talk, can think, well, he does have some pedigree going back to the high school days that Pete probably watched where, and he was a lottery pick. And so that might be more appealing in a trade like this, a two for one than one of the other minimum type guys that the Lakers could have put in there. So my guess is that Utah did want him. Um, and and I think that he's going to be in the NBA as a role player, but but it's not the type of, you know, that's not the type of thing that you say no on when you need to have that asset or that player upgrade for what Man. next team, next year's team is going to be, which Beverly is. And then also for the player that has a higher salary that could be traded if needed to have happen, depending on what other third piece the Lakers are going to try to need uh, if they don't make a trade ahead of the season at the trade deadline. If you follow me, I know that's kind of convoluted. And, <laughs> And that also has to do with Talon's option for next year, which is not coming to play with Beverly. So it, it does sort of open things up more. And Stanley being a part of that, I get. And, and hopefully that isn't disrespectful of, of the kind of really nice moments that Johnson had last year. And I think hopefully rehabilitated part of his career when some teams kind of he could have been on the outs uh, in some ways. And I think that he played enough and played well enough to to have some additional staying power, even if it's in that lessened role that he embraced last year. 
I mean, he was on the outs, right? He was out of the league. We got him uh, out of the G League. And I think that's the distinction is that he's always had that that background, that pedigree. Uh, and what's different is I think that he found a role this past year. And I think he is one of those guys that can play off of a great player and that that if somebody else attracts the attention, and that's the guy he was supposed to be, right? The guy that you give the ball and, oh, crap, Stanley Johnson's got the ball. We got to send a second defender. He didn't turn out to be that. But if he's not the guy that's breaking down the defense, I think that he has found himself a role being the guy that can play in those spaces in between. So with both Talon and Stanley, I just I really wish them well. Um, I'm sad to see them go. I also think that it was the the right trade to make. And so in the last two pods we've covered today with with, uh, Talon and Stanley and then also Pat Bev and his addition in the one before it leaves us in an interesting place on where do we go forward. So that's going to be what tomorrow's pod is. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.